0: This
1: is the Plucked
0: Chicken Podcast.
1: You know, it's been so long since we've actually done this. This is kind of uh, a luxury for us. We've got a job to do. We We have have two jobs to do, (laughs) don't we? We've got...
2: (laughs) We've got two congregations that we're taking care of, and then we have uh, other responsibilities toward the larger church body as well.
1: Sometimes I have the time, sometimes you have the time, and so when we have the time together to carve out, to uh, make another episode, I, I get really excited, so I'm, I'm glad to be here today. And because it's been uh, such a long time, I, I think maybe we've uh, gotten a little dull on our abilities to be able to critique That which is true against that which is not true. You think that? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I I thought what we would do is we would just start off with some low-hanging fruit. What do you think about that? Okay, that sounds fine.
0: (laughs) Welcome to LifePoint Church. Good to see you guys. Welcome to our brand new series, Blockbuster Weekends. Raise your hand if you've seen Back to the Future. Come on, who, all right, all right. Now, for those of you that I just totally ruined the movie, that's on you, okay? You have plenty of time to catch that. Uh, May want to go watch it later, fill in all the gaps. You know, there's a lot of power in movies. Oftentimes people would say, Pastor, why in the world would your church take time to do a series where you talk about movies? And if you're thinking that, the quick and short answer is because When Jesus would do his teaching, he oftentimes would use what was cultural to communicate what was timeless. He referenced farmers out scattering seed. He pointed to illustrations that were all around him. And he used those cultural connections to communicate timeless truths. And when I look around our world, it's obvious we love the silver screen. We love movies. And so throughout this series, we're going to look at cultural moments and stories and we're going to connect them to timeless truths now we just going to happen to reach back into the golden era of blockbuster video who had a blockbuster card raise your hand
1: and then off he goes from there this is a series that this yahoo does on uh, let's see four different movies i believe top gun remember the titans toy story and i don't even remember what the other one was so what what do you think about that i just wanted you to hear his justification for why they would do something like this and what he says is you know well jesus did something very similar jesus
2: starts with an eternal truth and finds an analog in the everyday world isn't that how he works and interestingly enough his own parables are often well they're made up i mean there it might be you know the parable of the wedding story or or the ten virgins you know i mean they're just all these different parables that he makes up they connect to something in the real world but they always have these interesting twists that really this is what he does he maps the story over the kingdom of god He doesn't map the kingdom of God over an underlying story. And so this guy is going to start kind of in the wrong place. Really, for him to have a legitimate point, Jesus would have had to to, uh, you know, appeal to the playwright Menander <laughs> or, you know, the the Medea of Euripides or something like this and say, now I'm going to tell you the story of the Medea of Euripides. And then from that, I'm going to I'm going to try to rest a spiritual truth.
1: It's all, as um, they would say on the farm, back ass words. Oh, but. This allows them to serve popcorn. This allows them to have soft drinks and skittles and all kinds of right. candies. I mean, this is this allows them to turn their, you know, their theater style seating, their worship, seating, worship, their worship center, area yeah. into a, a a complete theater and make it make it really cool and relevant. Though I mean, wouldn't Jesus do that, Pastor? Mark? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what.
2: <laughs> Uh, n- uh No, <laughs> no, I mean it, it's it's ludicrous and actually you can see you know what's not being spoken here and what's underneath this whole thing and I think you and I are both suspecting it is that this is just another gimmick to get people into the into the pew Oh cool he's gonna he's gonna talk about movies.
1: Oh yeah and we're not even gonna listen to it anymore. That's it. That's all I wanted you to yeah. hear because you know it's a gimmick from the get go. I think it's so interesting. <laughs> I don't know, a couple things uh, I, I thought of as I was listening to this. Number one, he 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 comes up with this hypothetical where somebody comes to him and says, Pastor, nobody at this church calls this guy pastor. Secondly, he gives this very trite bass awkward's justification for why he does this, and it's supposed to what? just kind of tamp down anybody's criticism of why do this? why
2: do it in church? Yeah, because Jesus did it. right, right. yeah, it's that's well, as we said, that's pretty lame. His accounting for what Jesus did is pretty lame. but right. I, that's an attempt to do that, I would guess. but who I mean, seriously, who going to this church, Pastor Kearns? is going to have the discernment to say, you know what, I just don't think it's appropriate for us to have movies in the church.
1: Well, there, there are a few, and when I say few, I mean, I can count them on two fingers, right? This is not a lot of people who would do do this. There's certainly not a lot of people who would, let's say, be examining this church for the very first time, and let's say they wanted to go there because they've got this rip-roaring youth group that their teenagers are drawn to, And let's say the family goes because they're tired of hearing the girls say, let's go to this church, and they go there and they hear this. They're not going to get up and walk out. I did have, and this is years ago, in the same town, and it was from a different church that was doing the exact same thing. Another movie series. Another movie series at another church. And there was a person who came to me very distraught. They said, the movie that they're referencing is an r-rated movie Mm. this is a movie that i won't allow my child to go to but yet they're showing it in church and just like this guy here drawing out these whatever biblical principles from like i don't know batman returns or something like this and the lady was so distraught because she said i won't let my kid watch that movie And yet they're showing it in church. What do you think I got all the way home from church?
2: Mom, why can't we see these movies? Yeah, why can't we watch rated R movies? Right. Yeah, that's crazy. And I I think that's another huge problem. What movies... Look, I'm not... This guy's obviously a fan of the silver screen. I don't care about the silver screen. Haven't for a long time. There's nothing very engaging, number one. Number two,
1: it's all rated R. So you're saying even though these movies that he might be referencing aren't rated R... There's still inappropriate scenes in just about all of them. Yes, I mean a parent has to always be on their guard, watching, uh, censoring. This is what you're saying. Absolutely.
2: And the church has had this sort of long-standing uh, uneasy relationship with with performance drama. Uh, you know, Saint John Chrysostom decries the actors as an example, as a um, as something that's really incompatible with uh, Christian truth. On the one hand, well, on the other hand, then you have uh, in the Reformation itself, Melanchthon is, is writing plays about the Reformation, and they're using, they're using the medium to, to teach the children about the history of the Reformation. That's a, great, that's a great use of it. The church isn't universally puritanical about this stuff, but the church rightly, I think, Kind of holds this stuff at arm's length, and certainly the secular R rated movies. I mean, today R is just like X mm-hmm. for what, what would have been X for Sh- you and me as children. Sure, sure. Now falls under R rating. Right. Right? There's always some nakedness. Mm-hmm. I mean, we never saw nakedness and, on the screen when we were children.
1: Yeah, but in certainly sexual innuendo. Heavy. Yeah, right, yeah. right. But here's the deal. When you throw out a church year and a church calendar, you've got to backfill that with something. And so the big box churches are going to go after that which is secular in order to create a church year, as it were. I mean, they're they're going right. to recognize Easter, but not Holy Week, and certainly not Lent. That's way too Catholic. And Christmas-ish, except for Christmas Day, because
2: that... That's a bust right right they yeah. don't even have services right. on uh, Christmas Day right a lot of these churches right which is which is ironic because Christmas means the mass of Christ's uh, nativity which is just crazy we call it Christmas and don't have mass right <laughs> it, it also is and you've pointed this out many many times it's a it's a kind of blindness to the Catholicity of the church it, it's as if nothing has gone before it's as if. The set of readings and the, the, the whole pericopal system, what I mean by that is the, the, the readings that are assigned for every Sunday of the church here, it's as if there's no wisdom in this whatsoever, and suddenly in the 21st century, somebody's got this wisdom that says, I know how to do this better than people have for the last 2,000 years.
1: Yeah, it's the goddess of relevancy. Sure. That, that is elevated and worshipped.
2: Good. And let's even just talk about the biblicity of the Bibleness or the, is that the right word? The scriptural background here. In the synagogues, they read according to a pericopal system. So I whenever, know, I, whenever I, we have Jesus doing this, like when in Luke 4, when he reads that, that, he's done with the pericope that was assigned for that day. The pericope for the Pentecost, the Jewish festival of Pentecost, is the Joel reading. And this is why this just all comes together and
1: Peter preaches a sermon on Joel I'm sorry for trying to interrupt you there. You know, we were going down the exact same track. This is what you're thinking. Here's this guy who says, oh, Jesus did it this way. Right. And we've already said that he's got it totally backwards. Well, actually, when Jesus would go to the synagogue, I mean, it, the the text clearly says that the attendant handed Jesus the readings, right? It wasn't just, oh, Jesus going in the synagogue going, what am I going to what am I going to talk to these people about today, right? There was an, a signed reading. He handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Right? right? And as you know, the scroll of Isaiah is probably the, the longest scroll. you got to believe that the attendant had the exact passage on the left and the right scroll scrolled up. So all you've got to do is just read this little bit right here and hands it to Jesus. He reads it. The text clearly says that he hands it back to the attendant. I mean, this is what the attendant right, does. Right. He pulls down the correct reading for that Sabbath day. If you want to do what Jesus does, start with the
2: scriptures. Start with the scriptures. And, and, don't, and don't go uh, cherry picking either, right? Uh, you know, it's not like throwing a, a dart at a dartboard. Let the wisdom of the church, as Jesus clear—I mean, this is interesting. The Son of God himself— allows that the wisdom of the Old Testament church select the passage on which he is to preach. The Holy Spirit allows the wisdom of the church to determine the reading for the day on which he's poured out on all flesh. Is this not just an amazing thing where, but of course, this is God operating through means. This is God with dirty fingernails. This is God doing it the messy way and not the sort of neat and tidy way, which these folks do just don't countenance at all. Well, you know, let's talk about what this means for our listeners, shall we? Please. Does it not mean that for the safety of your own soul, you need to be in a church where it's not the whim of the pastor choosing kind of what strikes his fancy today to to preach upon, but Paul usually, talks about
1: there, preaching the whole council of there's God. There's a creative team, <laughs> Pastor Bras, behind this. It's not just one individual. Come on.
2: So so it's the it's the whim of the of that small group. Oh, right? okay, and, and, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, wouldn't yeah, you agree? Yeah, 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 And that you know, Paul says uh, that to the as he's taking leave of the Ephesian elders that he didn't shrink from knowing the whole council of God among them. How do you ensure that the people encounter the whole council of God, apart from a some sort of pericopal system? that guides the readings and does it
1: over and over so that they and over. So, yeah and
2: and how often do you and I experience um <laughs> where well you know it's like the 21st Sunday after Trinity the gospel's read the sermon that's proclaimed has many of the same points as the sermon proclaimed <laughs> that year before and the year before and the year before and someone comes up to you and says pastor I never knew that I never got it well yeah that's kind of how it works and that's why you do why you do it the way you do it
1: yeah the church year is just a i mean it is such a beautiful gift that's actually been handed to us we don't we, it's like a roller coaster you just get on and, yeah. and ride you don't you don't have to uh try to get out of the roller coaster and push the push the uh, the uh, what the, the car assemble the cars you don't have to yeah. do that right you you just ride and you know, there's some high moments, and then there's some low moments. And on a roller coaster, it's all good. It's not like it's a, a downer, but it, there's low moments, and there's times when it just kind of goes uh, straight, and there's kind of times when it uh, goes upside down. I mean, it it is a wonderful ride following the life of Christ, usually in the first portion of the year, if we were to simplify it. From f- Advent. From Advent all the way until Until well, Pentecost, really, wouldn't you yeah, say? Sure, yep. After that, we're going to follow the teachings of Christ, the whole, and that gives us a whole other half of the year. Follow the life of Christ, follow the teachings of Christ. It's worked
2: for Christians for thousands and thousands, well, thousands of years. So No, there, I don't are, think
1: so, Pastor Bus. I, I think it's I think one needs the popcorn and the silver screen and the movie references and the clips. I mean the reality is God has tied himself to that word. He has not tied himself to that movie. It that's so obvious
2: as almost not to be need to be said, but it but it's but it's a great point to make that the Lord yeah, that you're you're exactly right. You know I'm gonna just turn a little bit here if you don't mind. Please. I, I shared with you and the voters the other day the anecdote about my ride on the airplane from Dallas to uh, Kansas City. and I was sitting in a row with three pastors myself included. and so one was this big tall guy who was a pastor in Kansas City and then this skinny kid, he couldn't have been you know more than 25 from a mega church in Dallas. I didn't want to have any conversation with them, really. I was tired and uh, just didn't want to engage and knew where they were coming from generally. Well, they confirmed in their conversation every single suspicion that I had about evangelicaldom. The big hand wringer for them uh, had to do with what this kid said his church experience. It was a mega church in Dallas. These sort of mercurial swings in attendance, you know, where you'd be up 1,000 and down 2,000 and then up 3,000, you know, in various years on multiple campuses and so on. And he didn't call it this, but this is what it was. It was just chasing one gimmick after another to increase that attendance, which is really about increasing cash flow right or keeping it where you want it to be
1: well and Uh, and, because that's a very expensive way to do church
2: exactly which isn't to say that the way we do church isn't expensive either i would love to sort of compare a budget of a mega church with a you know a budget of an evangelical lutheran church people cost money and we have lots of pastors because we think that ordained learned ministerium Dealing with the people matters an awful lot.
1: Sure. But as I was referencing earlier, I wasn't being hypothetical when I said that there's a creative team. All of these people are paid. And then the sets. See, we got to create a set for every series. Right. And so this this gets we got to have real high tech equipment. Right, we have volunteers doing our equipment, and so you got to have the latest and the greatest. You got to have editors. You got to sound editors. You got to have video editors. I mean, it is the most expensive way to do church.
2: Good and ritually, sadly, uh, it doesn't embody a truth of Scripture, which is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And um, you know, the furnishings in a Lutheran church. They just don't change they don't need to change because as the great hymnist said here stands the font before your eyes recalling how god did receive thee the altar recalls christ's sacrifice and what in his gifts he doth give thee these things are the centerpieces of the christian life
1: well you remember another lutheran church here in town that um uh, went belly up as it were, for a number of different reasons. Right, right. But then there was this evangelical church that was going to come in and buy the building. This was not a dilapidated building in my opinion no. by any means i mean you know there was some repair that needed to be done to the exterior like as in the roof but for crying out loud very beautiful on the inside and what were they going to do pastor bruss so these pieces of furniture that you've just been well, yeah, referencing they were going to they were going to sledgehammer them out they they were cemented
2: into the structure of the building because the building serves these two pieces of furniture in the sense that in the sense that these two pieces of furniture are how God serves his people. But they had to make room for the drum set. And for a pool, a baptism pool.
1: Yeah, well, And a screen. Mm-hmm. This is just an example of the point that you're making in regard to the furniture in a Lutheran church. It doesn't change because it doesn't need to. It proclaims where God wants to give you the goods. Yes. <clears throat> Which isn't to say that a Lutheran church is boring.
2: We just talked about the pericapal system, right? So there are things that are constant and then things that change throughout the church here. And those changes are really are the, the readings for each Sunday and then the hymnody for each Sunday is, you know, the hymnody is cued into the into the readings. It picks up the themes of the readings. So propers those, and ordinaries. Exactly, is, that's right. what we call, call mm-hmm. it, yeah. The, so the ordinary is the stuff you ordinarily use. It's the order of the service. And the propers are the things that are particular to each and every Sunday. So like somebody who's hearing this and saying, oh, that sounds really weird. Well, you got to go do it for a whole year. You got to learn the dance. And as you learn the dance, uh, then you start to appreciate the twirls and the, you know, whatever whatever you do in ballroom dance, you know, the fancy stuff, the flourishes. But you know, pay attention to the solidity of the ordinary. I mean, it's just always there. It, it always says, I forgive you your sins for the sake of Jesus Christ. It always says, this is my body, this is my blood for you for the forgiveness of sins. It always begins the sermon with an apostolic Blessing, grace be unto you, and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it always ends the sermon with a, with a wonderful votum, the, the peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Is this not what the entire church is constructed that the Lord instituted his
1: church for? it's just permeated with it. You know, I find it so interesting. I just relayed this story to uh, some friends just um, over Thanksgiving. When I was investigating uh, Lutheranism, specifically the distinctives of Lutheranism, and even coming to the Lord's Supper and baptism, I remember sitting down with a uh, pastor, Pastor uh, Denton White, and I I'd actually gone, for whatever reason, I didn't have any responsibilities at the church I was serving, the non Denam in uh, Wilmington, and I went to his church. He has two parishes. One, we could say, is a, a white congregation, and the other is a black congregation. Just two separate sides of town, and he travels in between each Sunday. And I went to both services. They were the exact Same in both services. And we went to lunch, and we were at this place, you've seen them before, where they put the paper out on the table and give you a bunch of crayons, and you can draw for the kids. And I was telling Pastor White, I said, this is what I love about Lutheranism, what I've discovered thus far. And I start writing all these things on the piece of paper. I've still got the piece of paper. It's over there in that cabinet, by the way. And I write law and gospel. I write a vocation. I write the sacraments. I mean I write a lot of things and then I wrote this big box right in the right in the middle under the rainbow of things that I loved and I wrote the liturgy and I put a big question mark and I told him I don't get it and coming from what you just said it's because I'd never Learn the dance.
2: That's interesting. So, how many times had you had you encountered uh, an
1: evangelical Lutheran service at that oh, point in time, brother? I mean, I don't know. If I added the two services that I went to that day, I mean, I probably could count them on uh, two hands. Okay,
2: so so a very very small acquaintance with it. This is good for the hearers to uh, hear this you had only put your toesies in the water and, and you hadn't really, you were still learning the foxtrot and you hadn't even gotten up to the waltz at this point in time. Sure. And, and, and so you couldn't really
1: enjoy ballroom dance. No. Right. But what's fascinating is when you talk to other people about this, it's like they won't even say, okay, I'll, I'll try this. Using your analogy, I'm really clumsy with my feet, uh, but, but I, I'll give it a whirl. A lot of them just say something like, "Oh, it's so Catholic," or right. "Oh, it's so formal." Right. I, mean, I mean, at least at this point, I said, "I just don't get it." Mm-hmm. I want to get it, right. but I, do, I don't get it. it was just I didn't question look. Marks. Yeah, I didn't look at it and go, I, "I'll never, I'll <laughs> never soil myself with that."
2: Yeah, and we've got a young woman in church now who's come to us from uh, uh, one of the big box churches she's learning the dance, and she's loving learning the dance, and even boasted to me, and not, you know, this is, this is not bad boasting, but she, like this joy that she had uh, that her parents had come one time uh, to experience uh, the liturgy, and she couldn't help them because she knew it too well already and didn't even know what page we were on. She learned to dance relatively quickly i mean i would say this is
1: probably what three months well and on top of that i think about those in our congregation that either a have learning disabilities b have down syndrome or c even little children they know the dance
2: right exactly it's the stew that they swim in they know the dance and and then what a comfort too for the old people as they start to lose um,
1: faculties.
2: Yeah, you know, sight and even hearing. Even if you've lost your hearing, this is the crazy thing, or it gets bad. You still, the record is still playing in your head. You know that when everybody starts talking after the pastor says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that what they're saying is, "O almighty God, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you. You can even say it, even if you can't hear it. And even if you can't hear what the pastor says afterwards clearly, you know that he's saying, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto you. And instead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What a comfort this is that even as their faculties are lost, they still have God's word.
1: They know the dance.
2: They know the dance.
1: Whereas in this church that we just listened to uh, just briefly here, I mean, they've, they've got a liturgy too. But there's no ordinary. You, there's nothing really that you can hang your hat on, and there's certainly nothing that you can hang your hat on when you start to lose your hearing and your sight and your memory. And let's clarify what you
2: mean by what you mean when you say they have a liturgy. What you're basically saying is that there is a. A pattern that these services follow. That's it. Uh, yeah, right. You know, you sort of start a start with a kind of mood music, and then you get jamming and and get everybody up to a high, and then Joe Joe Pastor walks out with his ripped jeans and does his shtick, and then there's the mood music for this, the prayer at the very end, and then maybe some wind up, you know, music, and then everybody goes home. Yeah. So that's what you mean by a liturgy, right? J- just so our Lutheran hearers don't misunderstand that you and I actually think of that as liturgy. What we think of that as is just a kind of the program. Right. But yeah. you
1: could make the argument that a, that a baseball game has a certain liturgy. Correct. Yeah. It, in that in a, sense,
2: that's the sense that you're yeah. using it. Yeah. In. yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A seventh inning stretch. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the point is, is that that quote unquote liturgy, it doesn't give you anything. It doesn't serve the purpose. Right. Yeah. Beyond the moment,
2: maybe. Right. And it's very fleeting. It's very fleeting because the high that you got, you know, in the rouser just before the pastor's sermon, that's going away. But the words of God that endure forever, even though the earth should pass away, those are imparted to the people in the Lutheran liturgy. They're in their heads by song. You know, it's just
1: awesome. Can you tell we haven't really done this in a while? I mean, we've talked 30 minutes or so on this Yahoo's 45 seconds (laughs) worth of justification. (laughs) Right. But this has been a very, uh,
2: you know, helpful conversation. I hope that people, I guess, so what are the takeaways? Takeaways are, if you're listening to this as an evangelical, what we're saying is go experience it. Second thing we're saying is don't throw up your hands and say, I don't get what's going on. Right. You're going to learn the dance. If you're going to learn the foxtrot, you got to start with something very, very simple. And so, you know, just like if you're going to sign up for ballroom dancing, don't expect to be Fred Astaire the first time you do it. But trust that ultimately you're going to wind up intuiting even, right? You you intuit the the... Like you and I, can I? I'm sorry. You and I go over to this Christ Lutheran Church, right? Yeah. At Christ, they don't have the, sacra- the the sacrament every single Sunday. Right. And I tell you what, every Sunday that they don't have the sacrament, and I'm over there, I get lost in the liturgy. I just don't kind of really un- know where we're at. I'm I'm because the dance is going in a different direction. Right. From what I expect, I can,
1: it's you, like wearing one shoe. Okay, honey, I'm going to work. I'm putting one right. shoe on and I'm walking out the door and, I, and Something's
2: I'm not, missing. There's some, yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not digging on, on this other church. Sure. Okay, that's okay, their, so this, that's what they is do. What they do. Yeah. Right. Uh, all I'm saying is that the dance becomes so much a part of, of you that when you go through the dance and it's so much a part of you, you don't even have to think about it. You have to think about it when the
1: dance is different. And so if you've got a person who goes into the church that we've been talking about, there really is not much of a learning curve. You just go in and you participate and you're active and all of that and you and you it's I would assume You know, we've got popcorn over here and Cokes over here and candy over here, and it looks like a theater, but you got this, you know, rocking music, and then this cool guy wears the, you know, the shorts. The tight shirt. Yeah, Yeah, with the tattoo right coming out right underneath the, you know, the sleeve there. I mean, this guy's cool. And so a lot of stimulation going on. So then when you talk about, say, a liturgical church, and you talk about learning the dance. And you even said, I mean, it takes a year to really ingratiate yourself, so to speak, to this, I'm going to say way of worship, right? It is the way of worship, but nonetheless, it's like people, they don't want to learn to dance. Like they, they don't want a learning curve. They don't, they don't want it. And, and here's the thing about it too. They think it's bad. So let's, let's give them the incentive. Even if they were watching Dances with the Stars and saw some guy come out there and really dance, they'd be like, man,
2: that is awesome. I wish I knew how to do that. The incentive is this. As you're learning to dance, listen for all of the gospel words. Right? Listen to the way in which the liturgy delivers Christ to you. Uh, and listen to the way in which you appropriately acknowledge his coming to you in your midst, right? We sing the song of the angels: "Glory be to God on high, and peace on earth, goodwill toward men." We at every single Sunday. Why? Because Christ is coming to, into our midst through His Word, in no less a real way than when He came into the world in the in the Virgin's womb. And you know, I mean, there it's just this awesome stuff that's all over the place. And so that's your incentive. Listen for the gospel, listen for the gospel words, listen to how Jesus is is not teaching you how to be a, you know, a better dad or something like that. But listen to how Jesus is coming to you to do what he came into the world to do in the first place, which is to forgive your sins.
1: So you're saying then in the Lutheran church when they sing the nunc dimittis. After having received the so, very body and blood of Christ. So let's just give them the Nunc Dimittis.
2: It's, the Sim, it's Simeon's song. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For so, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel.
1: What has just taken place before the people sing that song? They have just eaten the body And drank the blood of Jesus Christ. They have touched Jesus. No less really than Simeon did when he held him. And when he said, my life can't get any better than this, I'm ready to die. Right. And so the people then say, my life can't get any better. This is the pinnacle of my life to actually have ingested the undying body of jesus which cleanses sin and makes you holy right <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean everybody's
2: singing it exactly and and also the you know the so right this, there are these enactments of the of the words or these reifications of the words right a light to lighten the gentiles who's the gentiles it's us who are singing it <laughs> right. right it's like whoa this has all come to fruition and you're singing this in just great joy at what the Lord has done for you in this divine service. And this is
1: 15, 15 seconds, so to speak, in this divine service, right. max. Right. But it's part of the dance every Sunday. Right. Right. It's probably like the dip,
2: right? You're, there you there. go. <laughs> <laughs> right, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess our enticement that we're suggesting, and I may t- tell me if I'm right evangelicals if you need to hear that you're safe in the arms of jesus if you need to know that all of your striving is for naught because jesus has already taken care of it all come to a lutheran church listen to the ordinary the stuff we do every sunday and hear how reassuring these words taken from the scriptures themselves are to you in your struggle against sin and death?
1: Well, if they do take you up on your challenge, Pastor Bros, then I can guarantee you they won't be having to listen to this.
3: And so, um, uh, for that, uh, and if you've missed any of the last three weeks, you need to go online and uh, watch or listen to the message. We're talking about uh, this series Ghost Stories, talking about Holy Spirit. I call it Ghost Stories because it happened uh, predominantly in the month of October where people were thinking about ghosts and such.
1: All right. So, oh, I, I honestly have listened to him say that several times. I found that to be so stupid sounding. <laughs> but this is his. This, you know, he's doing the same thing.
2: Right, as everybody else is doing, right? So ghosts, because, right, I guess it's what, October, uh, Halloween You're or right, something like right, that. Right, yeah. right, right. And uh, off air, you had said something. There he goes again with his relevance. And so, uh, again, it maps over the secular year. Ironically, in God's year, there is a time for the Spirit. It's at Pentecost. This is when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And, in fact, the lead-up toward in the end of the Easter season to this gets more and more intensely Spirit, Holy Spirit-oriented. In fact, it starts at the beginning of, of the Easter season, the first Sunday after Easter. Jesus says, Receive the Holy Spirit, whosoever sins you forgive, they have been forgiven them, and whosoever sins you bind, they have been bound. And so, crazily, in just punting on the entire Catholic Church here, the Western Catholic Church here, they've got to go invent another church here that really, I mean, seriously, ghosts? Yeah,
1: I think about ghosts all the time.
2: And he's going to equate the Holy. Is he talking about Holy Spirit? Is that what he's talking about? You're a genius. That's what he's talking about. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't this unduly weigh down or, or misshape what people are automatically going to think about the Holy Spirit if you are if you're dealing with it in the ghost season of the secular church of the secular year? Like, ooh, it's all this
1: creepy, oogie-boogie stuff. Well, I've listened to this sermon several times, which, by the way, just take a wild guess how long this sermon was. 45 minutes. It was an hour and 20 minutes. Oh, good night. The point that he's trying to make is that one should be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which should be evidenced by speaking in tongues, which is not something that's scary. Wow. Want to listen to some more? Do we, do, <laughs> do we have to? Are you scared?
2: <laughs> I'm not scared. I'm scared for what these people are listening
3: to, though. Scared for the people. Right. And, uh, and really, this, these have been, uh, we've been looking at the Scripture, the story of, of, like, the ghost, like the Holy Ghost. We don't really call uh, Holy Spirit Holy Ghost um, today because, it, you know, it's just weird. And, uh, but, uh, about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when uh, we look at that in the Greek is pneuma. It means breath of God. The breath of God. The Spirit of God. And uh, too often, we, we look at, at faith, look at the Scripture, and we look at God. As God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And often many churches, the And we believe in the Holy Spirit He's just not allowed to do nothing. And so, Pastor Ron's been talking about, through these last three three weeks, kind of building uh, building each week and looking at the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, looking at, at these different aspects of the Holy Spirit, and, and today, I, I have the honor to talk to you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you're kind of uh, thinking, what was that like, baptism of the Holy Spirit, like speaking in tongues? Yep. But well, that's really weird. Just, just, just hang on, okay? Just, just hang on. Um, if you can go through a haunted house, you can sit through a message on Speaking in Tongues. If you can watch some psycho thriller drama on Netflix, you can sit through a message talking about Holy Spirit Speaking in Tongues. So... Trust me, that, it's not going to be anything like the psycho thriller. That any image that you've had of Holy Spirit about somebody that just ha- actually happens to be possessed by God and has no control over their faculties, that's not the right one. Okay? Scripture says the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, that, that is subject to, to us. God's not going to come and just take over and turn us into to marionettes. Puppets. It's not that God is, uh, that, that we're just the ventriloquist doll sitting on God's lap, that we have no control over what's, what's going on. It's not that at all. Right. At the same time, there's something powerful in the fact that um, God is supreme, God is above all. The Holy Spirit of God is promised to us in the the Scripture that empowers us, that equips us, that encourages us, that that strengthens us, that reminds us of of the, the pattern and the teachings of Jesus, that points us to Jesus and to salvation. The Holy Spirit of God that can work through us to have power in our lives. It's not enough to just say, I surrender my life to Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. I repent of my sins. And now I'm going to try really, 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 really hard for the rest of my life to not sin all by myself. I'm telling you, I need the Holy Spirit of God in me, working in me, working through me so that I can have uh, power and authority, as promised me in scripture, over the enemy of my soul. And now Uh, I'm going to try real hard to be somewhere close to on time. But if if you don't uh, work with me here and help me preach today, it will go longer.
1: So, you know, I let him go on just a little bit there. Uh, And believe me, he's going to go on and on and on. And the reason he goes on so much, in my opinion, I don't know. It's because he doesn't start to see the results that he's hoping will come about by it, talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Oh, so he's hoping that he's hoping people are going to start babbling or. Yeah, or I even or, watched yeah. the, I even watched this. I mean, usually I just listen to him, but I went back and I watched this because if I'm not mistaken, I mean, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 or so minutes at the end where normally you would give an altar call in the big box church. This really is what a special, Spirit call. I mean, this is Holy Spirit. We want to be filled with you. I've got a. I've got just a few moments of it for you to listen to. I think he's not seeing what he's really hoping to see, which in his terminology would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now I think for us Lutherans, when we hear outpouring, we associate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit connected to water, but that's not what he's going to say. If your theory is right, kind of a sad
2: situation for him. The Lord has given it to us to proclaim his word and not for us to see to the results. I mean, the Lord is going to take care of that. And here he is, you know, sort of extending this to make sure he sees the results. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that the spirit blows where it wants and nobody knows where it came from or where it's going. And it seems like he's trying to wrestle the Holy Spirit down into his
1: congregation to get the result he's after. For crying out loud, I think Ray Charles he could see the direction that this sermon is headed. And you know, he said some good things about
2: the Holy Spirit, right? As the Holy Well, Spirit, they're towards the you know, end, drawing to drawing into our memory uh, all the things that Jesus has right. done and taught. And this, right. this is his this is his work. Uh, he does it through his Word, though. The thing that concerned me about what he said about the Holy Spirit was. That this is separated from following Jesus, Uh, as if in addition to following Jesus, there's this next thing. Well, you know, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except for by the Holy Spirit. If you confess Jesus as Savior from sin, death, and the devil's power, you have the Holy Spirit already. And he's already doing all of those things that Jesus promises the Spirit is going to do, bring to memory all that he has done. How does he do this? Well, he does it through his word and sacraments. And the, the Holy Spirit's attached to these things. Sadly, they're looking, going out and trying to find a disembodied Holy Spirit that exhibits himself solely through the you know, these things like speaking in tongues.
1: Sad. Sad. It is sad. And see, I think the criticism that would be made against us is, by these folks, you are putting God in a box. God put himself in the box.
2: What? Here's the thing, is that God in his self-disclosure, in his revelation, makes every effort to go from being inscrutable to scrutable.
1: Goes from being... High, majestic, and lifted up, as and, it were. And and just totally out of
2: our ken. No one has ever seen God. This is what John says, John 118, No one has ever seen God before. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, this one has made him known. So if we want the revelation of God, we have to find it in Jesus Christ. This is the only place where God reveals himself.
1: But they would sing, to see him high and lifted up. <laughs> <laughs> shining in the light of your glory
2: so this is actually a song cuz
1: yeah, you make you're, that you're, up.
2: you're talented but you're, <laughs> you, you <laughs> I've never known you to make
1: up a song on the spot um but see that's that's the thing they want to see god high and lifted right, up or right. as you would say as mr clean right you that sanitized glorious uh what would you say shining jesus as opposed to the very lowly, crooked nose, dirty fingernail, pretty mundane Jesus. But see, this is what the Bible actually says, right? Uh, Isaiah, uh, in the King James Version, he has no comely appearance. Right. He's, he, he doesn't stand out in a crowd like, man, yeah. that, that guy, he's yeah. a good-looking guy. Right. Which, which is sad, because you see all the pictures of Jesus that we have. I and mean, Most of them, he's the Vidal Sassoon Jesus. Right. And
2: we don't know if he was ugly, but he, he, he was certainly... Average. Yeah, average, right? Nothing stood out. So the, the box, let's go back to the box that we're purportedly putting God into. God intentionally puts himself into the box. He intentionally comes to us hidden under things that he has ordained, that he has determined are going to reveal him to us. His word, baptism... The sacrament of the altar, the lips of of your pastor that forgive your sins. He hides himself under these things because to know God nudely or in an absolute way is impossible for sinners.
1: So the divorcing of the spirit from these things and thinking that God is, quote unquote, out of the box is a foreign. Well, it's it's heresy. It is. It, it it It's certainly not scriptural. But when you go back to the Old Testament, I mean, God did put himself in a box, in a tent, and he said, I'm not going to leave you, but this is how you approach me. And he gave very specific instructions as to how we're going to use blood, we're going to use animals, we're going to use priests, not just anybody, but... Priests that descend from Levi, Uh, we're going to be able to take this down and and move it and set it back up again, but you want to come to me, this is how you do it. Right. It really hasn't changed. Right. So if you're a dispensationalist, you'll
2: say, well, everything's new in the New Testament. Well, no, God still operates the same exact ways. Very clearly, he who hears you hears me, he says to his disciples, Again, the, the whole idea that God should take human flesh. Uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only begotten, of the Father, full of grace and truth. We don't see the grace and truth and glory of God in his, by ascending to heaven. Ultimately, that, that duxa, that glory that we see in the Gospel of John, it culminates in the crucifixion of the Son of God in, in this most lowly thing. This is where God meets His people. Well,
1: let's hear this, this pastor continue to mislead his people. So
3: I, I want to I look at this um, today, and I'm going to teach you um, about baptism in the Holy Spirit and how we see this played out in Scripture in Acts, not just on the day of Pentecost. Some people look at, it, oh, it's on the day of Pentecost, kind of a one-time deal, and that's it is. Now, if you keep reading, you see that it's something that happens over and over again. So in this series, we've studied who Holy Spirit is, what Holy Spirit does. Now we're going to look at this about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So I want you to open your hearts today.
1: Enthusiasm, yet again, is the name of the game. Right. And now the heart's open to capture the God inside.
3: Jesus' last instructions to the apostles set the stage for the outpouring of Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and for generations to come. he His instructions paved the way. You look at this, right before he... So he went to the cross, he died, he rose again, and then we see that that uh, he walked among the disciples after he rose again. And he, he spent a little over a month just walking amongst the disciples and still teaching. He like, had the nail scars in his hands and his side and his feet, and he, he still... Like, That's now, that's not like a ghost story. I don't know what it is. He was dead, like they saw him on the cross, they saw that that he was dead. They laid him in the tomb, and then three days later, he's gone. And then he comes in, he like walks through the wall, and he's like, I still got some more things, like some now in closing thoughts for this little bit. And you know, when that happens, like you're going to listen, right? Like, if Jesus were to just walk through the wall and go, I need to tell you some few more things. Like first, you need that do not be afraid. Uh, <laughs> and then I guarantee you, everybody be taking notes like that. Point, like, oh, and so he's giving them these instructions, and so. He gives these he gives these, these instructions. Luke 24, 49, we read, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in this city, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. This is Jesus telling them that. And so this is this is something that's just really important. Like, so what's it gonna look like? Are we getting are we getting new clothes?
1: he's really pushing this uh this ghost theme isn't he i mean he's got to he's got to give it some credence right he can't just name it ghost stories and and not keep circling around to this but it's
2: silly what a flippant way to deal with the resurrection of the lord jesus christ from the dead talk about ghost stories really absolutely not point number two it's interesting, I'm hearing now for the first time I'd never drawn this connection before the Pentecostal churches um, we've heard a number of these sermons where they talk about power and I've been thinking what in the world you know where is this derived from? Well, it, we just got it here in in, Act, in Luke 24:49 uh, this clothing with power from on high. Well, sadly what they're doing is they're distributing that clothing with power across the, the broader, Christian church without recognizing that what the Lord is doing here is actually talking about the the power and authority of the ministry. You see it in Mark 16 as well, uh, where Jesus gives the you know the command to
1: go and preach the gospel, and
2: they have authority over demons. Even
1: well, and even and who be- is for that? Right when the seventy-two were right, sent out, exactly. and he says, "I saw Satan fall like lightning." Right, right at the proclamation of God's
2: word. Right. So there, there is an authority here. There's no an authority and a power. There's no question about it. The keys are these powerful things that do the same thing that they do in heaven, which is unlock heaven and, and, and actually close the door to heaven. This is the power that's being talked about.
1: Not some sort of super de duper power that all Christians may have in their life over sin. And, I mean, he's going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's going to talk about how we should be doing miracles we should be seeing miracles being performed through our life because this is the power in which we're supposed to be clothed with so so this
2: is this is just a a pure misreading of the scriptures it's not taking these look Luke 24:49 he pulled it out didn't give any context didn't say who was there who Jesus is talking to and as soon as you do that why then you can stuff the bag with with whatever you want to. This isn't to say that Christians don't have some, you know, when you've got Christ, you've got the whole Christ, and you do have his power over death and the devil and all this sort of stuff. You've got it by faith, and it's in virtue of what Jesus has done that you have the ultimate victory over these things.
1: Right, but as you will hear he's tapping on something and it really is speaking to our old adam and it's that there's something more mm-hmm. right i mean this is exactly what the devil did with our <laughs> with adam and eve yeah. you know there's there's something more that you are missing out on right and that's what he's tapping into and you can almost hear a collective yeah there there must be. Something There's more. got to be something more, and and it creates this sense of I'm missing out. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say, as a Lutheran, there is something more that they are missing out on. It's where the Holy Spirit actually works. Right. Right.
2: Right. So so let's go back to where we were. Um, Jesus gives this power to the eleven. Um, Then it's well he's he promises it to the 11 It's poured out on the 12 on Pentecost who are the first ministers the first pastors of Christ Church Judas has been replaced and they have the same tools in their belt that contemporary Lutheran pastors do anyway the word and the sacraments. And that's the that this is the power of God, right? Saint Paul talks about this in uh, Romans one sixteen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power that that Jesus gives is the power of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is connected to the gospel wherever the gospel is, whether it's In the proclaimed word the red word uh, baptism as it's administered the sacrament of the altar wherever that gospel is there is the power of the Holy Spirit and what is he doing he's doing his fundamental job
1: which is giving Christ and if we wanted to add more terms to that he's converting he's regenerating he's illuminating vivifying uh, sanctifying right right these are all theological words as a means to actually describe what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's very very active, by the way. And keeping us in the one true faith until we die. Amen.
2: And, of course, that's predicated upon the right preaching of God's Word.
3: Stay in the city. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then down in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen, in in one passage, it's that he said, You'll be clothed with power. And then when we read this passage from Acts, it's that you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you're going to have power. Well, what does that look like?
1: What does it look like, Pastor Bros?
2: It looks like St. Peter preaching the best law and gospel sermon you've ever heard by, number one, chiding those who have witnessed the disciples uh, on Pentecost for misuse of the Eighth Commandment, breaking the Eighth Commandment. Number two, killing uh, the God who had become incarnate to save them, and then giving them the sweetest gospel, saying that they can have salvation from this wicked age through repentance and the forgiveness of their sins and baptism. That's what it looks like.
1: So it really is uh, making enemies of God into friends, into children. Good. It is taking those who are dead in their sins and their trespasses and making them alive in Christ Jesus. Yep. It's pretty powerful.
2: It's very powerful, taking those who, are, who have one foot in hell and putting both feet in heaven. You can think of all sorts of oppositions here.
1: I don't think that's what he's going to say. I bet not. <laughs> I'll
2: bet
3: not. I kind of imagine that they're thinking, okay, well, I was, I was baptized. I, I've been this place where I was baptized with water, as, as John baptized with water, and then and John was preparing the way for Jesus and declaring that, and then baptizes, we, we give our lives to Christ, and that baptism of, of Jesus. But So is this going to be like water flowing? Is this going to be, are we going to have to be submerged again? How are we going to be staying in the city in this room that's on like the second floor? How is that going to work? Are we going to have to get like a portable baptism? What's going to take place in, in all this? He didn't tell them exactly what it was going to look like. He just said, wait. I kind of get that idea, like, when he's telling them this, and he's like, you'll know. You'll know. You'll be baptized in power. This outpouring of Holy Spirit was prophesied in the Scriptures, prophesied twice. I want to talk to you about, about one that was prophesied over 868 years before. That's a long time to see a prophecy fulfilled.
1: All right, did you hear that just at the very, very beginning? It was very, very quick. He started by saying, I imagine. Right. So now we're into this. I mean, the Bible does not look favorably on imagination.
2: Right. Exactly. I mean, it's always
1: bad. It's bad. It's a bad thing. Yeah. And here he is imagining, we would say speculating, on what this power is supposed to look like. Right. And it was interesting how he rolled it up to the
2: modern day. Um, You know, I just, when he was talking about a portable baptism, I was thinking about, that fiberglass bathtub that some someone put lawnmower wheels on and a handle.
1: Oh, I've seen them. I bet you have. All right, so I had to cut him here and the reason I I, I took out a portion of the sermon is because he's going to tell a story. And uh, so we'll just um, we'll pick it up right when he's talking more about the scriptures and this doctrine that he's advocating.
3: And so he he revealed this through the prophet Joel, 868 years before it happened. Check check this out. This is Joel's prophecy. In Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on your male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Basically saying, it will pour out my spirit on everybody. Everybody. Everybody.
1: Now, I do love the fact that he referenced the Old Testament and showing how this is a prophecy, and then, of course, it's fulfilled. But we could go back to how we began this and say this is really the way that the pericope is laid out each and every Sunday. More times than not, there is a promise made, which is from the Old Testament, and then a promise kept in the New Testament. That which is
4: revealed.
1: And again, if one were to go to a liturgical church, you would see this promise made, promise kept, promise made, promise kept all throughout the church year. Right. So I'm grateful that he did it. Yeah, yeah. No,
2: it's, it's all good.
1: But did you hear it? There at the very end, he's thinking that this power that he's imagining, that he's speculating, is available for everyone. And that's not necessarily the case, now is it? Well the vivifying, the regenerating, the converting is available for everybody. Sure. But not the office of the ministry. No, not the office of
2: the ministry. And yet and yet the, the, the gospel is such a powerful thing that in, no matter whose mouth it is found. You mean a mother lo- talking to their children? Exactly. Grandma
1: talking to their grandchildren. Yeah,
2: or as Luther says, a milkmaid talking to you know talking to another milkmaid. Yeah, uh, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, it creates faith. That's what Joel is talking about.
1: Well, let's see what he says.
3: And so his prophecy was fulfilled 868 years later when there were 120 that were in this upper room that had gotten the order from Jesus who would walk through our walls, as we were seeing it earlier, walked through the walls and, just, and said, okay, so here's the closing thoughts to kind of sum it all up and wrap it up. And you go here and you wait, and you're going to be clothed. You're going to be baptized uh, with, with this anointing, with Holy Spirit. It's going to happen. So just wait and wait until it happens. And so there's 120 that are there. They were there for nine days. But it happened in these moments, a prophecy from 868 years before was poured out. Acts chapter two verse thirteen. But others. So, so what happened is in Acts chapter three. Acts chapter two. Before we get to verse thirteen, Holy Spirit came. Holy Spirit came and filled. The, and this the just powerful, uh, this powerful outpouring of the Spirit of God. And we're going to look at that in a minute. And when it happened, people were praying and they were speaking in tongues and and it just it just incredible things that happened. And people were hearing the, their own native tongue being spoken by by somebody that was. That was there. That that wasn't their native tongue that was speaking. And they're gathering around. And we see some people were like, oh, this is amazing. But some, verse 13, there were some others that were mocking. And they said, oh, they're just filled with new wine. They're drunk. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, verse 17, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. That's what they were hearing take place in this upper room on that day. They're like, everybody's just drunk up there. He said, no, 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 no. You guys remember when you go to the temple and the reading of the prophets and, and, and reading of and reading Joel, and when Joel said this is going to come, and we've been waiting, and we've been waiting, and we've been waiting. That's what's happening, it's here. And Peter stood up and he preached and thousands that day, because of this outpouring of Holy Spirit, were uh, surrendered their lives to Jesus and were baptized and added to the church that day because there was an outpouring, because there were a people who were willing to wait and were willing and open for whatever it looked like. What would it look like for us if we decided that we wanted everything God had for us, no matter what that meant? Not neat and tidy. But what if we surrendered to God and said, everything that you want, I want for me, I want. I want all of your gifts except that one because that one seems a little weird. If we just said, whatever it looks like, whatever it looks like. So I want to talk to you today in this about five non-spooky, but mystical ghost stories about the outpourings of the Holy Spirit in Acts today. And uh, as we read this, I want you to think, as this happens, could this happen here? Would I be willing for this to happen to me? Because it's not just about that day. So these five outpourings of the Holy Spirit, they occurred over a span of 25 years in the book of Acts. And we see there's different ways that people were filled with the Holy Spirit, some by laying on of hands, some just in the middle of preaching, some we don't even know exactly how when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to pray in tongues. We don't even see when that that happened. We just know it did because of what they said later. Look at this. John ba- John the Baptist said in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, I've baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize... God, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. i baptize, baptized. This is Jesus. Actually, this is Jesus talking. i baptize baptized you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 5. Uh, Jesus, again, for John baptized with water, but you we be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I just wish sometimes God would give us some more definition of what his promise, how it's going to be fulfilled, what it's going to look like. Won't you? Like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it exactly like this, and it's going to look exactly like this. It, just, it frustrates me sometimes when God's just like, wait, it's going to be amazing. There's times when God's like, you, you, you stand on the, on, on the precipice, on the, just on the edge of this great thing that I'm going to do, and I want God to, I want God to say, and it looks like this, like, what does it look like? On well, the presence, I feel like, am I, am I falling into an abyss, or am I stepping into a new season of blessing, or is it a new challenge? And so, what is it? It's something amazing. But just, just tell me. And Jesus is always like, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This first one, this first one, this day of Pentecost.
1: You did hear him talk about, why can't this happen here? Why can't this happen now? If we're open to it, if we want it enough, if we surrender enough, this narrative text should be prescriptive. It should demonstrate exactly what we should be seeing on a regular basis. You picked up on this as well? Yes, I did, and and I suppose the fact
2: that he's going to point to five more of these things is going to be further proof of, of this. That's correct. Again, you know, th- th- this is simply a matter of the inability to put, and I don't know where this comes from. Um, to arrange, I guess Lutherans must be really good at this stuff because we're so, you know, like orderly or something, but this locus method. So you've got topics and certain passages are relevant to these various topics and the topics themselves are derived from the passages it's like this one gets put in the wrong box in the wrong cubby hole in the wall to me that's problematic you know we get a mention of 120 people in acts 1:15 and this is where they select the next apostle we don't get a mention of 120 in chapter 2 so there's, a, there's an inference there that the 120 mentioned in Acts 1 has been multiplied out of the 11 that Jesus actually gave the promise to at the end of, of Luke 24. Again, I, I got to believe this has to do with a very low view of the, of the office of the ministry uh, and that you know, basically whatever is predicated of the ministry is predicated of the entire Christian church individually
1: yeah and but wouldn't you say that there's this idea here that these folks however many there might be are in this almost meditative slash trance-like state as they're waiting
2: right and he he kind of has them locked in the same exact place doesn't he they're not in the same place. They're actually in the synagogue and this is Acts chapter 2 verse 1, right? It, when the day was fulfilled of Pentecost, they were together, pantas hamu This is code and you can see it, you can see it in 1 Corinthians, you can see it in the book of Acts. This is the gathering of the Christians for worship purposes, okay? So for the church defense, essentially, church. then it says and there came suddenly from the Heaven, an echo like of violent breath being blown, and it filled the whole oikos where they were sitting down. Where they the were, house, the house, right now, the house don't mistake this. I mean, in the new, so the intertestamental Jews called the synagogue a baith, a house. This is, this is what they called them, like Baith Leham. Exactly, or like, like any Jewish temple in your town, right? So they're all batim, they're all houses, these are their houses. So they're at church, hearing the pericope for for this observance, which is the Joel pericope, and it's fulfilled in their midst.
1: Because the Holy Spirit has tied himself to his word. Exactly,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> See, and this is what bothers me. He is... Impugning the scriptures and actually God himself by saying, man, I wish there were some more detail, right? I I, I wish it just kind of laid it out like this point a point B point C My argument is it does and you just don't like those points. And so you either a Come up with new points or B Well, no, it's both you come up with new points, and what you do is you, you throw off what has actually been revealed. You're, you couldn't be more uh, spot on. And
2: let us not forget that these are the giving of the Holy Spirit occurs at ministerial transitions in the life of the church. This is the Old Testament paradigm. What happens when Elijah goes to heaven? Elisha gets a double measure of his spirit. And there are many, many more instances like this. Uh, I, it happens with uh, Moses and Joshua. Joshua is given the spirit as the successor of Moses with the authority to do the thing for which God had called him to do. So, like, they're, they're scratching their heads thinking, what's going to happen they know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to receive the Holy Spirit just like Elisha did from Elijah.
1: And the Lord has already given them the marching orders to go out and baptize and to teach. And this is how you make a disciple. Right, right. So they know exactly what they got to do. And
2: here, this is the dunamis or the exousia, the power or the authority
1: to carry out the instructions that the Lord Jesus has given them. Okay, so I'm so glad you brought up the dunamis. You hear this so many times whenever an evangelical pastor starts talking about the Holy Spirit. He will link this word dunamis to dynamite. And because dynamite does what it does, which is actually blow things up and kill people, uh, somehow or another this is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. It gives you power. And again, we, you know, you talk about the, the bass hack words from the first guy. This is not good hermeneutics by taking something like dynamite and saying that that's dunamis and saying, ergo, this is what the Holy Spirit does.
2: Correct. And actually, it's a much more uh, it's a more shrunken word in, in lots of ways. So it's from the verb dunamai. In Greek, which means I'm able, I'm capable, it's in my power to do this. So it's it's that's the sense of power. It's not like explosive power or um, like this is weak and this is strong power. It's just, you know, like do you have the power to move your arm? Well, yeah, you do. That's kind of what this is. This is the power to do what they've been charged to do which is to proclaim God's word and administer his
1: sacraments. But see, the guy we're listening to and the people of his ilk would say, this is to have that supercharged Christian life. Right. And you've accepted Jesus, but I'll be doggone, it's not enough. Not to give you this supercharged
2: Powerful life and and they're weigh, weighing it all inside of the word dunamis or power. Yeah, so it does mean power, but you gotta you gotta understand what that power is. It's not it's the power of capacity, not the power of kablooey or what's the other sense of power. I mean, it'd be interesting to get a dictionary out here and just see what the range of meanings is in English. I think there is a huge range of meaning, right? I oh, have the, yeah. I have the power to move my arm. Sure, different from saying I have power over. The weather. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. That That's what they're thinking
1: of this power
2: as. Yeah. It's like power over the weather.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I could play you Kenneth Copeland's wife, who, Kenneth Copeland, famous Pentecostal preacher, who's really into flying airplanes, by the way, how there was a storm and the storm's coming up and the wife who is in the back of the plane sees the storm starts commanding the storm to go away to dissipate because she has the power of God within her this is that power and guess what just take a wild guess what happens to the storm i'm sure the storm goes
2: off to the port side or or to the or the starboard side that's but, right but but was it was that's this right. was this without without <laughs> Any um, manipulation of the rudder—it <laughs> was a miracle. All of a sudden, that was the dunamis, yeah, right? I can right, turn exactly. this. I can turn yeah. this plane. <laughs> oh my, that is so pathetic.
4: You know, you're the—you're supposed to control the weather. I mean, Ken's the primary weatherman at our house, but when he's not there, I do it. He can see what's happening out there. It shows just like they have on the weather, like on the news. I mean, he's got the computers, got the current weather on it and all that for flying. So, uh, sometimes I'll hear something. I'll hear the thunder start. Maybe he'll still be asleep. And I'll say, Ken, you need to do something about this. (laughs) And knowing that, but you are the one that has authority over the weather. One day Ken and Pat Boone, were, we were in Hawaii at their house and we were, they were sitting outside and there was a weather spout out over the ocean. And that's like a tornado except it hits the water. And so they were sitting there and they just watched it, rebuked it, it never did anything. One day I was in the airplane in the back and my little brother was in the back with me and Ken was up front flying and we were not in the weather because we don't fly bad weather. But we, we could see the weather over here. And I looked out the window, and that tornado came down just like this, down toward the ground. And Ken said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You get back up there. So this is how I learned how to talk to tornadoes. I saw this. And that tornado went whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> Even while I was watching And my little brother was not a devout Christian at that time, and that was really good for him to see. <laughs> so you're the weatherman. You get out there, or the weather woman, whichever it is, and you talk to that thing, and you tell it you're not coming here. I command you to dissipate, and you get back up there in Jesus' name.
1: <laughs> yeah, I told you.
2: <laughs> I'm speechless. That, that's ridiculous.
4: What?
1: What are you talking about? We're the weathermen. We, this is the dunamis. This right. is the Holy Spirit. We, we got this going on.
2: I have no idea where the where the uh, scriptural promise of
1: this is. Do we need one? Apparently not. Apparently not. I mean, Kenneth Copeland and Gloria Copeland, they've made a career, a very nice career, I might add, out of taking verses out of context and not needing any verses really to, you know, to supply to the ridiculousness that they well, let's just call it for what it is. I mean, the, the deception that they that they spew. Mm-hmm. What does this do for the old Adam when you, when you hear that you're the weatherman? Well, certainly for some people, it builds, builds up the old Adam. He becomes God. I mean, we heard people clapping and laughing and right. nobody saying, what? I'd have a hard time believing that's not nervous laughter. Pastor Bruss, these people have plopped down Bucks Deluxe to go in here this woman there's no nervous laughter this is we eat whatever this woman says gobble it up bad news i don't know what to say it's just ridiculous so let's go back to to our boy who's working his way through the book of acts telling us ghost stories
3: they were all filled with holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance They began to speak in other tongues. I have grown up in church where I remember in the old days when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And then you would have people that they would just, I'm going to teach you how to do this now. You're going to say this. You're you're going to to say these these phrases. You're going to say, see me tie my bow tie. I tie my bow tie. You see me tie my bow tie, I tie my bow tie. Now, I just say that over and over again, just so fast until you trick yourself into speaking it in tongues. You notice Jesus gave no directive for how to be filled, baptized, the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. He just said, go. In fact, he didn't even say, you're going to speak other languages. He was telling them, like, you're going to be clothed with power. Imagine if someone in the room, start hearing somebody else praying in a tongue that they know that they did not speak. Like the person sitting next to him going, now, I know you never took that class in school. There, how, how how do we do this? Here's how how you do this. Just be open. Be open.
1: So you see where he's leading the people.
2: I do. And apparently there's a method for... And, and it's watch me tie my bow tie. I mean, you just repeat it super fast. It's kind of like Sally sells seashells down by the seashore. And, sure. And you just keep doing it as fast, faster and faster and faster. And pretty soon gobbledygook comes out.
1: Yeah. This is for the people who, like, they want it. Like, they want to be open. They want to be close to God. And here's how you do it. Uh, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm ready. Well, the only way we know that one is being baptized in the Holy Spirit is they speak this gobbledygook. Somebody says, it's not happening. Here, let me help you. Repeat after me and just say it quickly. <clears throat> one of the things that he he
2: touched upon, but didn't really, you know, delve into and should have Is you know the person sitting next to the person talking in tongues, kind of looking at that person, saying, "Wow, you didn't learn that language in school." Is it a real language? The the apostles are actually speaking real languages, and actually they're being heard in more languages than they're speaking. But it's an intelligible human language that they're talking. So if you know you've never taken French, if if we were sitting in church suddenly and you started proclaiming the gospel in French, I'd I would be truly amazed by that.
1: It would be a miracle. Yeah, and but, for those people that decide to go to another country and be a missionary, man, I'm sure they would love that miracle so they don't have to worry about uh, learning the language that takes years to do and puts really a, it can put a kibosh on somebody's interest in going to another land to speak the gospel. Sure, and Melanchthon
2: during the Reformation, talks about the fact that the gift of the languages has persisted in the church through the actual learning, the hard work put into learning real language that you can actually proclaim the gospel in and
1: communicate to people. Well, and then sadly, to come up with an interpretation that the Pentecostals come up with and this doctrine of theirs, the text is very clear in Acts 2. That they heard them speaking in their native language. And then it goes on to list the native languages in which the Galileans were actually speaking. There's some 16 languages because the people were gathered there. Uh, Jews from all over different nations were gathered together in Jerusalem. I mean, it's really clear, and it's miraculous. But what This guy's gonna go on to explain, and by the way, I should say, he's going to decry the fact that people say, see me tie my bow tie. He he's gonna completely be very, very bothered by people who need to get worked up or who need these additional steps to help them in securing. This speaking in tongues. The gift of gobbledygook? Yes, but here's the wild thing that I hope you and our listeners will keep in mind as we go through this. It's exactly what he's going to do at the end of the sermon.
2: Interesting. So he introduces it, then disses it, and then he's going practice
3: to it. practice it. The second ghost story, this is Samaria. This is a year after Pentecost. The Jews hated Samaritans because they were a mixed race of Jews and they intermarried with the Gentiles, and they participated in their, their, their pagan worship. And The Jews, they called Samaritans dogs. They called them dogs. And they, and they, would, they would go out of their way on journeys to go around Samaria. They were a hated people. Well, Philip went to Samaria, and he preached Jesus. And by, by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Performed signs and wonders and miracles, and there were many that were that were that were converted, and they were bat- and Philip baptized them in water. And this was the first step in beginning to, to to tear down these walls. When the apostles heard uh, in Jerusalem about what had happened, they accepted Christ. Instead of like Philip had gone there and he'd done all this, so then they sent Peter and John so they could pray that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They'd heard they had surrendered their lives to Jesus and they'd been baptized in water, and they were like, they got that's that is awesome. Like this is awesome. This is what Jesus has been talking about. Where it's not just for the Jews, but it's for the Jews and the Gentiles and even the Sumerians. But now, you know what they need now? You need now? They need the Holy Spirit. So they sent, they sent them to Peter and John in Acts chapter 8, verse 15. It says, Peter and John came down and prayed for them that they might receive Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So then there they laid their hands on them and they received Holy Spirit. Now we don't read in this passage, check this out, we don't read in this passage that they began to speak in other tongues. We don't know what happened, okay? We don't really know what it looked like, but it looked like something. And here's how we know. They prayed, laid their hands on them prayed, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And something, some kind of manifestation, something happened to the point that in verse 18, we read that now when Simon, now Simon was a sorcerer, the a warlock. He saw what was happening. When he saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me this power too, so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive Holy Spirit. Something happened. I wish I knew what it was, but I know that something happened. Something changed to the point that, that Simon, he didn't even know really what it was. All he knew is that these two guys laid hands on them, and something happened that he couldn't do. He said, I'll give you money. Give me money to be able to do that. It's like, you can't buy this, man. Dude, you can't buy this. There's a lot of people trying to sell it. Be weary, be leery of those people. Trying to sell it, trying to sell the anointing. Well, for this, an offering of this size, I'll give you this kind of anointing. Oh, man, I hate that. Here's the thing is, he offered the money, that power. Why? Because here's the deal. They received Jesus. And I want to tell you something today. To receive Jesus means to receive all of who Jesus is. is, Christianity is not some or most. It's all or nothing. It is surrendering our lives and saying, God, whatever you want, I want you. I want the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. I want it all. Now,
2: boy, is this ever a misreading of the passage. And again, uh, if we think about this, as we talked earlier, about the Holy Spirit being given at these transitional points in the ministry— And we don't need to, it's not like we're making up a category here. This is the Old Testament pattern. We see it time and again. Uh, Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha. You know, Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, all of these things are ministry related. And so, yeah, they've received the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been baptized by Philip. But there is not a rightly constituted ministry there. Uh, they don't have, as it were, indigenous pastors, and so the apostles hear this, and they go down and through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit is conferred, the the authority to to do what Jesus promises in John chapter twenty, right? Receive the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins, you forgive, they have been forgiven them, and whosoever sins, you bind, they have been bound.
1: So nobody has the keys,
2: right? There's no there, the. God's church requires a public ministry, the ministry of word and sacrament. God promises in his gospel to send us pastors to proclaim his word in its truth and purity, to administer his sacraments, and to do that knowledgeably and in accord with God's commands. That's what Peter is going to do. Wow, this is crazy. And so what Simon wants, right? Simon wants this authority— and and the word is not power; it's exousia. So uh, earlier uh, he was talking about dunamis. Now he's ta- now where the word here is exousia. This is an authority, and Simon wants authority. Well, in
1: all fairness, uh, before you make that point, I think we were talking about dunamis. He he he's not brought up dunamis. I see. Okay. All right. But but he wants to. But the power
2: power thing right, is okay. still
1: is still there. And he supplied that word that Simon is seeking after instead of, as you were saying, authority. Simon is not looking at the people who receive the Holy Spirit. He's looking at the apostles who lay their hands on them. And give them the Holy Spirit. Right. right. So he wants to be able to constitute a ministry. That's yeah. what he wants to do. He wants to shortcut education and faith and seeing if you're in the faith, man, I get it. I'd much rather pay some money rather than to spend years and years and years in seminary. But this is where the formulation takes place. This is where the thinking takes place. You can't cut this corner, so to speak, just by paying money. Correct. And there's no indication about how long they stayed there. But, but we do
2: see in another passage in Acts where Paul goes to Ephesus and stays for quite some time and teaches. And in that teaching, there is, again, the laying on of hands and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And the wonderful thing about what Luke says at that point is he says, esan Jose do And there were about 12 of them. Again, bells should be going off in our heads saying, aha, here the Lord is instituting a rightfully ordered ministry of word and sacrament for the church of Ephesus. That's exactly what's going on here. So this is a clearly a willful misreading of the text. To
1: make matters worse, it's adding... Fanciful things to the text by acknowledging. Listen, there is no outrageous manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these people, but you know we got to believe that there was something because Simon wanted it. Isn't that a
2: fascinating thing? He's reading into it that they must have what talked in tongues or walked on water. Sure, done some crazy stuff, right?
1: He says something must have happened. This has to fit into the Pentecostal mode well if I'm not mistaken he goes on to example three next
3: go story number three this is this is the Apostle Paul's conversion now before Paul Paul was Paul the dude who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament Paul's name was Saul and Saul was a terrorist Saul, his job he was trained in the temple courts he knew the, all the Old Testament. The, he knew all the law. He was he was a very religious man. But religion will make you mean. Religion will cause you to become bigoted. Religion will make you hate people. But a relationship with the Most High God will change everything.
1: I, oh, I just... Uh, these little zingers that he throws out here, you know, just... Oh, what do you think about that? Well, he should uh, found the church without religion. Oh, wait, there is one oh, of those. I forgot God. about that. You're yeah. Right. <laughs> the reason they're without religion, based upon what this guy's saying, is that they're just they're just so mean and
2: bigoted. Is he talking about? I mean, is he thinking about denominational lines here? Is that is that what he's thinking about, or or wait. is this just a way of saying you know we are so we are so far beyond the standard that that you can't even call us religion. We just have direct direct relationship with the Most High God. And if you want to call that a religion, that's it's, it's nothing the
1: same. The way that the evangelical is trained and catechized, religion, even though the Bible says pure and undefiled religion, is to take care of the widows and the orphans, i.e. love your neighbor, but relationship, it sounds so cozy as opposed to religion— which conjures up study uh, memorization institutionalism thinking maybe yeah whereas relationship that comes with ease which
2: is not to deny that what god does in christ is specifically to establish a relationship with his creation i mean the point is we are always in relationship to god our relationship is determined by his word and in fact we are existentially in a relationship with God. He speaks and we are. And so there's complete dependence upon, upon God himself. This is not what they're thinking about, right? They're thinking about, you know, do you snuggle up in front of a fireplace when you're, you know, cuggy wuggies and, and read about Jesus?
1: Well, I mean, it's either one or the other. The point you're making is it is both. Christianity is a religion. Those are those are fighting words for for people. Sure. But it is through
2: very what, what he would call label sort of religious means that God does constitute his relationship toward us. He does it through baptism, through the sacrament of the altar, through the preaching of his word. All of these things require the apparatus of what we would call broadly religion.
3: To receive Jesus as opposed to persecuting Jesus and his followers. will do something amazing. So what, what happens is that that Saul's going around and he's hunting, arresting, torturing, killing Christians for fun and for profit. This was a bad, bad dude. So he had this moment where he's on the road. He's on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden there was a bright light that shone. And he heard this big voice, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Why are you doing this? And at this point, he's like, Jesus is a myth. Jesus is just a dude, just a cult, all this stuff. And all of a sudden, he knows that Jesus is dead and he's gone. He's out and proven his point. And all of a sudden, he hears this voice and this bright light, and he's blinded by this light. Why are you persecuting me? Saul's response was, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so Jesus told him to go into the, to the city and that someone would tell him what to do. And so for three days, he was totally blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. At the same time, God spoke to his prophets, Ananias, and he said, hey, Saul is in this town, and I want you to go there. I want you to go to this house, and I want you to pray for him. And Ananias is like, Saul, the dude who's killing us? And the Holy Spirit of God spoke to him and said, I've prepared. He's ready for you. He's, He's waiting on you. I've done something in him. I need you to go. I need you to lay your hands on him so that he will be healed and he'll be filled with my Holy Spirit. I need you to go. And Ananias was like, okay. And so he went. In Acts 9, in Acts chapter 9, we, we read where, uh, you can read this later, where Ananias told Saul that Jesus had sent him so he'd receive his sight. And so he laid his hands on him, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. His scales came off of his eyes. So he prayed for him to receive the Holy Spirit, and he was filled. It does not say there that he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues right there. It did not say... We don't read that right there. But... What we do know is then Saul, in the, point of, in, in, in the midst of all of this, his, his name was changed from Saul to Paul, and he began to write the New Testament, and he began to lay out the treaty for the work and the move of Holy Spirit. And so he said some of these things uh, in, his, in his writing. He, he wrote the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and, and about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and in 1 Corinthians 13, he, he wrote, I speak with the tongue of men and of angels. He also... In 1 Corinthians 14, he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. When he was laying out some guidelines in church, So somewhere this came to him. Also in 1 Corinthians 14, he later said, Desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15, it's on the screen. Paul's writing, he said, What am I to do? I pray with the Spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with the Spirit but I will also sing with my mind. These times where he was baptized in the Holy Spirit when Ananias came and laid his hands on him. And somewhere, it may have happened at that moment when Ananias laid his hand on him. It may have happened in that moment, but it's not written. It may have happened later. I'll tell you a story, I'll tell you in just a few moments about how it is that I received baptism of the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues.
1: As if we care about this story. By the way, I'm just going to say before we talk about the text he had just interpreted, I cut his story out. I don't care. I don't think our audience cares. Honestly, I don't think his congregation cares, but he, he's got to bring this home. However, as I listened to him wax the elephant, so to speak, I looked over at you. You look very despondent.
2: I am despondent. I Again, he's he's filling in the gaps where they can't be filled in. So there's no question that through the laying on of hands, Paul receives the Holy Spirit. But then the text itself, uh, Acts chapter 9, glosses, explains what that whole reception of the Holy Spirit means. So in verse 15, uh, the Lord said to him, go, because he's talking to Ananias now, go, because he is a vessel of choice, okay, a chosen vessel for me to carry my name before the Gentiles and before kings and before the sons of Israel. What is he saying? He's saying, look, Ananias, you've got to lay hands on this guy because he's going to be a pastor in my church. And that's how he receives the Holy Spirit and the exousia, the authority to do what, I've appointed him to do this. This is the Lord calling
1: through means, which he still does today. Well, speaking of means, doesn't Ananias tell him directly be baptized so that you will receive the forgiveness of your sins? Well, not here in Acts 9, but another recounting in Acts 22, uh, he does talk that way. And in that way, in Acts chapter 22, I mean, he specifically says That the forgiveness of sins for Saul slash Paul, if you want to make a big deal about that, it came by means, which was the Holy Spirit connected to the word of God, connected to water. Right. Right. And then he, through this, he gets the
2: forgiveness of sins. So just a very faulty sacramental theology, no sacramental theology, basically. Correct. And a really flat reading, um, a reading that just doesn't take into account everything that the scriptures teach about the giving of the Holy Spirit at these ministerial transition points.
3: Number four, this is seven years after the day of Pentecost. This is at the house of Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was the first gen- Gentile to convert to Christianity. He had a vision of an angel. He told him to send men to Joppa. It was about 35, 36 miles away to the house of Simon the Tanner and asked Peter, to come to his house and teach them about Jesus. At the same time, God gave Peter a, a vision, and he told him, instructing him to go to the Gentiles' home. So when, they got, when, when the men got there to request him to come, he was already re- ready and waiting on them. And so he came. And this opened the door to salvation and Holy Spirit baptism to, to, to them. And while he was preaching in this time in Acts chapter 10, he's preaching to all of these guys. He's in the midst of his preaching, we get to verse 44 of Acts 10. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, no altar call, no music in the background, nothing happened, he's just preaching. Just like this. The people were so hungry. There's a difference. There's like there's a hunger for more. A hunger for more. Don't expect God to fill you and baptize you with the Holy Spirit if you're just happy right where you're at. Just satisfied. And complacent. Like, you know, the heat's warmed up enough that we can just kind of hear the words, but then they kind of sound like, I'm just kind of complacent. No, no, no. There's this hunger, like this lean in. They're ready. They're waiting. And they're hearing what he's preaching. What he, they're, he's serving it out. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And in the midst of that, while he was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. In the midst of that, they were baptized. And you go on to read about how they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. There's a supernatural phenomenon that even in the middle of a sermon, you be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit.
1: The reason that this takes place is because the Holy Spirit has attached Himself to His Word. There is a proclamation taking place a law gospel proclamation that is taking place in the preaching here just like Peter's preaching at
2: Pentecost right and the the same exact things right this gift is for you and for your children and for those who are far off and here this is being fulfilled because it's far off from where where we would say was ground zero correct so I think what he's after here is verse 46. Uh, because this is all about talking in tongues. This is part of his ghost story thing. Uh, and there it says, For they heard them speaking in tongues, with tongues, and praising God. This is where he's resting his hat. Now, what does he take it to mean? Well, he takes it to mean this, me Right, the, the gobbledygook kind of talk. But what's interesting is that they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, those who are hearing it. So these are the Jews who have come to witness this. They know that they're praising God. Again, this is not just, you know, random gobbledygook foreign tongue. Uh, This is actually a foreign tongue. It's not random,
1: random gobbledygook. But it's a known language. Right. And all one has to do is go to Sunday school for crying out loud, and you can see that these accounts are all a reversal of Babel. Right. Disobedience and unbelief, really. They scatter the world via language. And now, as a result of the gospel, and I would say, going to your point, the result of the establishment of the holy ministry, now you have this reversal of Babel. Good. Because at Babel, man was trying to get to God, and now the truth is, and it always has been this way, god comes to you right at babel the tongues become mutually unintelligible
2: here in god's church that mutual unintelligibility is taken away that's the point of this
1: this is just good bible reading it's noticing the things that we have read in the past and realizing that there is a fulfillment you know this is why when it comes to baptism at the end of Matthew's gospel of being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and this is, how you, this is how you make a disciple, you baptize them, and you teach them all that I commanded, all Jesus commanded. Man, this should take us automatically to either Genesis 1, where the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, and from God's Word, uh, you've got water, and you've got Spirit, and you've got Word, and from this comes new life. Uh, we could go to Naaman having leprosy. He he cannot do anything about this. Leprosy throughout the scriptures are seen as sin, and he dips himself in the Jordan River that he doesn't want to because there's cleaner rivers back where he's from, and he's probably right about that, but it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter about the water. Water needs to be there. It's necessary, but the amount or how clean or how dirty it is—that's it, that's not germane. What is germane is that it's the word of God attached to the water. My point is, I'm not trying to go on and on. I'm just simply saying there should be these connection points. Uh, you could even go to uh, back to the to Pentecost, where there is this what appears to be fire on the head of the apostles in the upper room. Where else do we see fire? and God's anointed, and it's not consuming, it's not burning anything. Well, that's Moses in the burning bush. I mean, why can't these connection points be made? Instead of coming up with some new doctrine of this, this speaking in this angel language, heaven language? I think that's a great monologue. (laughs) Diatribe. (laughs) Do you remember in uh, Mr. Incredible where syndrome starts... uh, Doing what all evil villains do, like they give away the farm, right? They they finally got their superhero. He's he's bound up, and then he says, "This is what I've been after all along," right? Have I mean, you no I, no, I I don't even know the show. I'm sorry, Mister Incredible. No, Pastor Bros.
2: Is this from our childhood? No. Oh, I've never even heard of Mister Incredible. <laughs> I I'm sorry. I wish I did. I or maybe I don't. I don't know.
3: Fifth one, this happened 24 years after the day of Pentecost. 24 years. This thing is just spreading. It's spreading. But 24 years after Pentecost, the, the apostles are introducing Holy Spirit baptism. They're still doing that to new believers, still telling new believers about it. This happened in Ephesus, which was about 610, 15, 20 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, this is not like just hop in the car and go ride, it's like get on the donkey or go walk. It's a distance. And so they pressed into this area, and they're teaching, and they're preaching. We read this in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. These are all already disciples of Jesus. They've already heard about Jesus. They've been baptized in, in water. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, who's that? What Holy Spirit, what's we We know about Jesus, but like new phone, who this? Mm. No, I hadn't heard of Holy Spirit. Verse 3, he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And he's like, no, oh, no, okay, wait a minute. Verse 4, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they were baptized in the name of Jesus. They went down had dunk again. And then, in verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, Holy Spirit came on them and began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And you know what? Read this. The whole entirety of what happened is not given to us exact verbatim. Every, every word, every thought that's happening at the moment is in Scripture. There's things that happen kind of around it. But what you don't read in these is, is anybody going, okay. You've not heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You've not heard about this? Okay, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray for you, and then you're going to repeat this phrase. I'm going to pray for you, and it's going to happen exactly like this. It's just, if you want Holy Spirit... He taught them about who Holy Spirit is and the power, just like Pastor Ron's been teaching these last few weeks about who Holy Spirit is and the power and the anointing, and that there's a baptism that's an overwhelming, overflowing. You know, when you're baptized in something, you are immersed in it. That's right. yeah. Baptized does not mean to sprinkle. Sprinkle means to sprinkle. Right. Baptized means to, like, better take a breath. That's right. I hate going under and so there's this, there's this place where it's like, I surrender my life to Jesus, and there's something more. And I'll tell you that if you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there is something more for you today. Yeah. What does it look like? I've been walking for Jesus for a long, long time. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I have a prayer language, speaking in tongues for a long, long time, over 30 years. And here's my answer to what it looks like. I don't know. You know what happens when you're filled and you're baptized with the Holy Spirit? Not only do you receive a prayer language, that when you don't know what to pray, God does. And God, through His Holy Spirit, can pray through you as you surrender yourself to something greater. Because there's been times in my life when I literally didn't know what to pray.
1: All right, I stopped him right here because he's going to tell a story about a time when he didn't know what to pray. A pretty heavy story, and it's going to emotionally affect him, so much so that um, really for the rest of the sermon, uh, he's going to be pulling pulling back, you know, whatever wants to come out. It's, it's interesting how he set this up, and then he tells this tear-jerker really— Tearjerker story. Yeah, tearjerker story. Uh, but what did, you, what did you think about what he said here?
2: Again, let's talk about objective things. You know, we're not, we're not here to talk about his subjective experience, and that's, this is really not what the Word of God is all about. What it does is it gives us certitude that our faith can hang its hat on. And his exegesis of Acts 19 is, we should expect this, it's a disaster, so he doesn't back up to uh, get the background on Apollos just from the previous chapter. The previous chapter says that Apollos had come to know the wave accurately, but it says epistaminos monon baptisma Yoanu, only understanding or only having a grasp of the baptism of John. And so Apollos, in this in a sort of zeal, I mean, it, literally, he's, he, he, he is a zealous guy for this, uh, in his zeal says, wow, people got to know about this. So he goes out with an incomplete message and takes it to to Ephesus. Here he's teaching, and, of course, his own students know only a, as much about it as Apollos does. And so it's no wonder that they've only received the baptism of John. And Paul says, okay, you know, fine enough, but understand this, that was just a baptism of repentance, Um, There's another baptism. The other baptism is the baptism into the name of Jesus. And so Paul baptizes them into the name of Jesus. Now they've got the whole thing, right? So this Jesus that that Apollos knew about, who had been born of the virgin, lived a perfect life, suffered and died to take away the sins of the world— There's a baptism that corresponds to that, right? The the previous one was a baptism of repentance. That's John's. This is the baptism that fulfills it in a sense and gives you the righteousness that Jesus won. That's what Paul does. And he is curious. You know, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, what does this mean? Go back to these other places that we've bumped into. The Holy Spirit comes and is the authority behind the institution of the office of the ministry and so what does paul do he does the same exact thing that we've seen here in other instances he lays hands on them this is ordination and they receive the holy spirit amazingly what happens at this point in time is exactly what happened on pentecost so this is like pentecost ii if you will We don't know what day it was, but wouldn't it be fascinating if it were actually uh, the Feast of Pentecost? 2.0. 2.0. They start talking in tongues. Well, what happened on Pentecost? The guys started talking in tongues. See me tie my bow tie? No, not like this. No, no, no. In, In languages that were intelligible. So, you know, real, real languages. And now Luke concludes this in the most fascinating way. He says... They were, all of them, Hosei Dodeca, about 12. So what he's doing is, you know, if, if the bells haven't gone off in your head yet, if you're not seeing this as the institution of the ministry in Ephesus, so that the Lord can secure the preaching and teaching of his word there in a permanent way, just as he did in Judea, he's putting this marker in here to say, okay, pay attention, folks. This is what the Lord is up to. In a sense, it's a fulfillment of what happens in uh with cornelius uh, where the geographically at least the gospel goes out to the gentilic world it's the same thing that happened in samaria where geographically the gospel goes out to the gentilic world well now here we've got another chunk of the empire ephesus asia minor where the gospel is being proclaimed in its in its truth and purity and the sacraments rightly administered that's the point of this
1: it's really frustrating what you hear in evangelical circles is that Pentecost in Acts 2 is the birth of the church, which I think is I think is unfortunate. Sure, the church was birthed at the creation of the world. Right. Right. So that you never had the church up until the Holy Spirit. The bo- and then in fact you never had the Holy Spirit up until the Holy Spirit, which is an <laughs> irony. <laughs> yes. So, Acts is either called the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the
2: Holy Spirit. It's praxis Apostolon. So, the Acts of the Apostles. Do you mean do they really call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit? Yeah,
1: yeah, you hear this. But, oh. you, but listen, it's not uncommon. You know, like we do the same thing with the Prodigal Son. Just about every preacher comes along and they say, uh, this really shouldn't be called the Prodigal Son, it should be called prodigal father or the prodigal sons and that's fine because you know i mean these headings are added later right but you're saying the title itself is the acts of the apostles not the acts of the holy spirit right there's no ancient text that provides us with a
2: variant that says the acts of the holy spirit it's either the acts of the apostles it's either the Acts of Apostles, the Acts of the Apostles, or the Acts of the Holy Apostles. Those
1: are the variants. Well, uh, I guess these days, the newest variant, the way these guys talk, would be the Acts of Holy Spirit. Right, of <laughs> Drop Holy, the article. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Regardless, so they interpret Acts as being Acts of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 is the birthday of the church. And as a result of that, they don't see that the verses that that this guy has has highlighted really are a fulfillment of what Jesus says in Acts chapter one, where he says, You will be my witnesses in in Judea, Samaria. I mean, it's it, you know, and to the uttermost of the earth, yeah. parts of the earth, right? It's that here's the here's the epicenter, here's ground zero, and then you've got these concentric circles that go out from there. Well, this is just documenting the fulfillment of of what Jesus said. That's a
2: very good point. And actually, the, the name of you know Acts of the Apostles is old. That's an old, ancient name. It's in the early manuscripts. And the way they—I uh, won't go into how they name these things, but they would put a tag um, on the on the scroll so that you knew which one you were pulling off. And so this one just simply said Praxis Apostolon, the, the Acts of the Apostles. Well, what does this mean? I mean, this is an important witness of, of what the early church thought the Acts— was. It's exactly what you say. It was a fulfillment of the promise a, 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 an elaboration of how this promise was fulfilled. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so the focus really is on the on what the apostles are doing. Interestingly, the apostles as the body of Christ or as the arms and legs of Christ. And so a Lutheran would rename this the Acts of Jesus Christ after he ascended into heaven, not the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit plays a critical role in this. Why does the Holy Spirit play a critical role in this? He plays a critical role in this because he connects himself to means. And these means are the proclamation of his word, the administration of his sacrament of baptism, and the administration of his sacrament of, of Holy Communion, which we get alluded to in you know when uh, Lucky falls out of the window I mean, I think You're talking about Eutychus, just Eutychus, to yeah, clarify, yeah. whose name means lucky. Lucky. And you, I mean, you hit it right on the head. The interesting thing is that the Bible itself does theology from the ground up and not from heaven down. When you start to think of this as the acts of the Holy Spirit, you're doing theology from heaven down. Theology must always begin with facts on the ground. The facts on the ground are that apostles proclaim Jesus. That's it.
1: So another subtitle for the book of Acts might be the establishment of the holy ministry. Right. The Acts of the Apostles, colon, the establishment
2: of the holy ministry and what it does. And what it looks like. Yeah. But you can see here
1: how he has set up a completely different structure
2: no one wants to say this least of all him the holy spirit's not about the holy spirit the holy spirit's about jesus uh, to that extent uh it, it, he's like john the baptist he must incre- you know i must decrease that he m- that he might increase his job is to give us christ here in pentecostalism right it's it's almost like jesus's job is to give you the holy spirit it's back
1: words. well and i've heard it lamented that the Holy Spirit is like the Cinderella of the Trinity in that it's the older sisters that get all of the, uh, of the credit. And there, he's, there she is scrubbing the floor. She's scrubbing yeah. the floor. Yeah, yeah. And their idea is to take Cinderella and get her to the dance so that all eyes can be on her. But they don't understand that the Holy Spirit, as you just said, is the PR man for Jesus. He's always pointing to Jesus. Or you could say he's the FedEx man. He's always delivering the goods to you. But the goods come from Jesus. Right. It would be
2: lamentable if that weren't the scriptural record. But it is the scriptural record.
1: And so the accusation that is made against Lutherans is regarding the Holy Spirit. You don't emphasize the Holy Spirit enough. Maybe you don't even have the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. And our answer would simply be
2: we have the Holy Spirit where, I mean, the Holy Spirit promises to be wherever the word of God is proclaimed, wherever the sacraments are administered. And so, sorry, Charlie, but,
1: but we have it more than you do. Sure. And here's what's terrible, not to not to go off on another uh, uh, trail here, but we know that man is dead in his sins and his trespasses. And as a result of that, we need the Holy Spirit to vivify or regenerate or convert or quicken any of these theological words. This is part of the Holy Spirit's job for us. Well, they deny that. So we say as a result of our salvation, thanks be to God, who did this work in us we didn't do it no one can say jesus is lord except for by the holy spirit yes Yes. right
2: so the revivification of course all of this stuff is hidden too or it's 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 um it's not obvious just just like faith in the heart isn't obvious they're trying to make what's hidden visible that's a great point
3: in closing this luke chapter 11 verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You don't need two-thirds of God. You need all of God. Amen? So let me tell you how I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my prayer language.
1: Oh, if I had to sit through again listening to the story of how he received the Holy Spirit and his prayer language, I think I would—I Oh, I, I honestly think I would cut myself with a, a dull, rusty knife. I just I just can't stand it. But you see what he's well, doing save here. save us. Save us from that. Oh, yeah, yes. you're saved. Okay, you're, very you're, good. You're, you're okay. I mean, it takes up a, a good portion of this sermon. He's clearly selling it now. He's been alluding to it. You've got to be open. You've got to be. You've got to surrender. You've got to want it. And now he simply says he's going to give the Holy Spirit to those who who ask him. And there you go. The truth would be you ask your pastor to baptize you. Right. That's um,
2: that's that's what you would do.
1: Right. This is what the biblical narrative actually teaches us, as opposed to getting your pry bar out and prying that one verse out of its context and saying all you've got to do is ask the Holy Spirit and now he is going to come to you divorced from means, from something physical. They got to do it that
2: way.
3: Sometimes it's because somebody lays their hands on you. Sometimes it's because in the middle of preaching. Sometimes it's just because the Holy Spirit falls. It can, it can happen anywhere. I've heard people like they fall asleep and begin to speak in tongues while they're asleep because God had to get them out of the way. They're filling the, I've heard all your voice, but here's, I believe, it is, is. it comes from a hunger that, God, there's more of you. And here is my challenge to us today. You may have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and received your prayer language. Even when you do that, it doesn't guarantee there's going to be times when it feels like it's dry and distant. If that's you today, but you want more, I want you to stand. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you're open to whatever it is, I can't promise you what's going to happen here in the next few moments. But I can tell you, don't be afraid. Your eyes aren't going to roll back in your head, you're not going to flop on the ground. That's not going to happen. But if you desire more, you believe there's more. There's more. Maybe it's, it's a place of where you've been, but you've gotten away from that. It's dry. But you want there to be more, and you want all of who God is, that you want Holy Spirit to refresh you. I'm telling you, if I was sitting on the front row this morning, I would be standing. Your pastor would be standing. Why? Because I believe there's more. I believe God's not God. So if you're ready today, you want to receive the baptism in Holy Spirit. You want to be filled with Holy Spirit. You want there to be a refreshing, a renewing. Maybe it's, it's a time when you just felt like you, you, you're dry. It's time, maybe things are going good. And you say, you know what? I believe there's more. That you'd be the one that on that day in Pentecost, maybe if you'd already received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but you heard that Jesus said to go, and there's going to be something, there's more, and you go and you wait. You'd be like, can I go too? I mean, I've already, I already know what it's going to be. But I want to come too. If that's you, at any point that you
1: so now, want,
3: just stand. There, right? I mean, I kind
1: of like the music, honestly. I could listen to some guy playing. I could, I could listen to that quite often. But when you put it behind a preacher to create the impression that the Holy Spirit is now descending upon the audience, uh, and then you've got the pastor making this, this call to, if you want more, if you want more, if you want more. He keeps saying this over and over. You know, and I think I mentioned this earlier. I went back and I watched the video. And people start start standing up. I mean, of course, this goes on, Pastor Bros, for 15 minutes. So he's trying to get more and more to stand up. Is that the idea? Who want more and more of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to bust out in speaking in tongues as well.
3: He done showed up. He done showed <laughs> We just take a moment here. We just wait. We surrender this morning to you. Holy Spirit of God, we need you. Just reading words on a page doesn't bring life. Getting the word in us brings life. Life. We recognize today, Father, that your word promises that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Numa, your breath, your spirit would fill us if we desire. And we believe that you are a father above all fathers and that you don't have anything bad that you would give to us. That you're not looking to harm us. You're not looking to shame us. You're not looking to to embarrass us, but you are looking for us to surrender. And today we surrender. So right now, Holy Spirit, fill us in this room. Fill us. Just in your own words, just surrender. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. There's no no qualifying, no restrictions. I give you everything. I give you free reign. Holy Spirit, fill me. Baptize me today. Just feeling this sense. And as in this moment, as you feel, if you feel like Holy Spirit, this time, like you, you hear. So just begin to speak. and get, Baptize me. Fill me. Holy Spirit, pray through me. And if you hear, even if it's just a syllable, just Whatever it is, just with with your own mind, just move yourself out of the way. Just move yourself out of the way. Holy Spirit, fill me today. If you've already been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you this morning, just begin to pray in your prayer language. Just allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here today we're not here to listen to our neighbor we're here to listen to you to your voice to your breath to, to what you desire Holy Spirit begin to be stirred up Holy Spirit pour out on us be poured out on us clothe us we want more. We want more. We want more. We desire more today. Holy Spirit, we desire more of you. God, we desire more of you. Don't expect that if you don't hear anything, that it doesn't mean Holy Spirit's not filling you. Don't look for a specific manifestation. Look to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It may feel like, for some, sometimes it feels like it's just a warm tingling. For some, it it just feels like just a peace that comes. For some, it's an excitement that builds up in them. For some, it's just a still, quiet, quiet, voice that says I got you I got you I'm here I'm here I'm here I'm what you've been asking for surrender surrender today
2: oh it's just I feel like I've been watching church porn I hate to say (laughs) that (laughs) you you feel a little dirty I totally feel dirty that's that that is
1: je condrais I mean
2: oh I don't know.
1: But the Holy Spirit, that that's the Holy Spirit language. That's his prayer language. He received that years and years ago, actually, when he was mowing the grass. Uh, that's thats his prayer language. What? How can you? Gave him like three
2: phrases, huh? I mean, he, he repeated that thing over and over and over again.
1: Sure, sure. Oh, but it, it, it sounded like some sort of divine language, didn't it? No. What? It sounded like
2: gobbledygook.
1: But did you hear how he said, listen, you may just repeat a little phrase, right? He said earlier how he cannot stand when people say, you know, Bobby, tie my bow tie or whatever it was. See me tie my bow tie. So get yourself out of the way and just say a little, a little phrase. And after having listened to this several times and then watched it, I think he's a little bit upset that he didn't see. The results that either a he had in mind or b that he's seen in other places,
2: which is why he puts an asterisk by it and says, you know, it might feel like a warm feeling or
1: right yeah, a tingle piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Don't don't think you didn't get it just because you can't say uh, see me time my bow tie. Right. Of course, the warm feeling
2: might be that you've been sitting here for how long and had to go to the bathroom and I kept you in your seat and now there's a problem.
1: Sure. So what do you think about this? I mean, I've entitled this uh, episode of the Pluck Chicken Podcast, Will the Real Baptism Please Stand Up? Well, I think you should say that many times fast, and
2: maybe the real baptism will stand up.
1: Will the real baptism stand up? What is the real baptism, Pastor Bros? It's
2: the baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit uh, for the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And is there water involved in that? There is water involved, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's involved in that? The Holy Spirit's totally involved in that, yeah. Mm -hmm. He saved us not by works done by us in righteousness, uh, but uh, through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So as a result of that, what can one expect? To be called a child of God, to have a clean conscience, to uh, have the promise of heaven and everlasting life, and to receive faith in the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: One of the things that I find beautiful about the Lutheran understanding of baptism is that for the Lutheran, he or she carries their baptism throughout their entire life. They they never leave it. I mean, they can leave it. It never leaves them. It though. never leaves them. Right. And they,
2: they uh, remember it whenever they make the sign of the Holy Cross, which they do, you know, how many times in a divine service? Probably six times in a divine service. Sure. They, yeah whenever they say their prayers and start by saying in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit they're appealing to god through what god has already done to them in their baptism which is specifically make them his children so that they actually can cry out abba father
1: so what would you say about this concept of speaking in this gobbledygook i would say several things um
2: the first one is that speaking in languages is never uh, in in the New Testament is never gobbledygook. It's it's paradigmatically speaking in languages that others can understand for the purpose of communication of the gospel. And I I'm absolutely willing to absolutely I mean I readily acknowledge these moments where the Lord gives the gift of tongues as a real miracle as he establishes his church in fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made you'll be my witnesses not only in Jerusalem but Judea not only Judea but Samaria not only Samaria but the four corners of the earth and so the lord uses this this gift to spread the gospel throughout the the known world very early on now we have it in a much more mundane way today uh, we've got you know Lutheran Bible translators. They go all over the world and translate the Scriptures into the language of the people. It's a more arduous process. There's no miracle involved here, uh, but praise God that they're that they're doing it. This is um, this is an extension, if you will,
1: of the gift of tongues. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Bruss. I, I'm I'm glad that uh, you were able to sit through all of this nonsense, but. Uh, give us a, a great deal of clarity in so doing. There's the music right there. So, so until next time. See me tie my bow tie. Oh!
3: You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kern. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com
1: or StJohnLCMSTopeka.org.
2: there is no indication here at all about how long Peter stayed in Samaria. Is there, um, (laughs) that was the Holy Spirit. Oh no, (laughs) gurgling. Exactly. Get to the bathroom, right? I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. So, um,